Our program is Paul, Apostle to the Gentiles, and this is part one of a six-part series. As in all things, let us begin in prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Gracious and most merciful God, give us ears to hear your words, a mind to comprehend your meaning, and hearts that will allow your word to take root in our lives. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Saul, a Pharisee, zealous for his faith, persuaded the priests of the Sanhedrin to provide him with a group of armed men who would go to Damascus and seize any men or women who, who they found there who were followers of the way. This new group that was following this man named Jesus. Well, what did Saul see and hear on this trip, and how did it change his life? Well, to answer that question, we have to begin at the beginning. And Saul was born in Tarsus. Tarsus is a, a city in what we would now call southeastern Turkey. It's not far from the island of Cyprus, and it's not far from Antioch, which was a much bigger city in those days. Antioch was the fourth or fifth largest city in the Roman Empire. Now, Paul was born around the year 10, and he, were, he and his entire family were citizens of the Roman Empire. Well, this is a big deal because to be a citizen of the Roman Empire meant that you had special rights and privileges, and you would be immune from certain types of uh, treatment and behavior. Now, Tarsus was a very diverse city of different cultures, and located where it was, it was a real crossroads. And it was unusual that Saul and his family, who were Jews, had left Judea, had left the area around Jerusalem, and had migrated up to Tarsus. But this had, had been done many, many generations earlier. Now, throughout the Roman Empire, the old religions, the Greek and the Roman, were omnipresent, uh, worshiping a pantheon of gods, many, many gods. And each and every city and, and, and small town had its own gods. Some had a temple, some had shrines, but they all had some affinity for some of these gods. But this religion had been around for a long time, and not too many people were actually believing in it. The fastest growing religion in, in the Roman Empire was what you might call the cult of Rome or emperor worship. And this got started when Julius Caesar was assassinated by Brutus, Cassius, and a number of other conspirators. And his adopted son, Octavian, arrested them, had them executed, and declared himself emperor. And he used the name of Julius Caesar, his, his, the father who had adopted him, as a title. And he called himself Caesar Augustus. And so that was, he was the first emperor. And every emperor thereafter was called Caesar. And Caesar Augustus had declared that Julius Caesar had been a god. So they were all gods. So every, so every emperor from the time of Caesar Augustus on was a god. And so this was a, a religion called the cult of Rome. But now the Jews were very different. They were granted a special privilege of worship. When Pompey and others uh, invaded uh, uh, Judea, they realized that the Jews were not like other people that they encountered with tribal religions. They realized they had a very serious and a very sophisticated religion. So they were granted the ability to continue to practice their faith. 
And they were also immune from being drafted into the Roman legions. So no Jewish man would have to become a Roman soldier. But they weren't immune from taxation. And taxation was very hard and very heavy. So now Saul is a devout Jew. He is a Pharisee. And Pharisees evolved from the times of the Maccabean resistance, when Judah Maccabee stood up to the, uh, to the Greeks who, who were invading and trying to conquer his, his country at that time. And Pharisees were very fundamentalist. They read scripture literally. Uh, they believed in the resurrection, and that, as opposed to others like the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection. But Saul was also a zealot, a zealot in the sense that he, he believed in a strict interpretation of the Torah and the temple, and he expressed it very vehemently. Now, the covenant was everything to a Jew. The Abrahamic covenant was the one that God made with Abraham, which said that he would be their God, they would be his people, and all the descendants of Abraham uh, to, for, through eternity would be covered by this covenant. And so, in the years after Abraham, God sent judges and prophets to remind people of their faith, to call them to return when they wandered. But Israel sinned and fell away again and again and again. And sometimes the punishments or the corrections uh, took the form of exiles, uh, such as the Babylonian exile. When some people were exiled to Babylon, the rest of the nation sort of fell into sin and away from God. And actually, the people who had been in exile were the ones who had a rebirth of faith. And they came back, and they were repentant, and, and, and God was with them again, and the, and the nation prospered once again. But this cycle repeated again and again and again throughout the Old Testament history. Uh, we see it beginning with Adam and Eve, where they, who are walking in easy fellowship with the Father— uh, have only one rule that they need to, to uh, obey, and that's to not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge. And yet they do it. You know, so what is, what is their sin? Well, it's a sin of pride. They want to do it their way. They're not going to listen to God. They're going to they're work against him. And so that causes uh, uh, confusion and, and causes them to be banished from paradise. We see it again when Moses takes the people of Israel uh, out of slavery in Egypt. He takes them up against the Red Sea. The ocean parts because of the power of God. They're saved from the, uh, Rome, from the Egyptian soldiers who are chasing after them. And these people see this, and yet they still continue to sin afterward. And so it's 40 years before these people uh, go into the new land. And in fact, it's not them. That generation dies off. It's their children who get to go into the promised land. And then again, we see it in the different exiles. We see the, the kingdom of Israel collapse in the north. And then finally, the kingdom of, of Judah also collapses. And we see the people taken into exile. And then we see them return. And God is always faithful, but there's always these corrective actions that have to take place. So they have a covenant. What does a covenant say to them? They are people with one God. They have one law. They are one people. They are special people called out from all the earth by the Lord God. And they remind themselves of this by saying the Shema prayer, which they recite at least once every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And they are zealous for the faith. Here is the entire prayer. 
the Shema prayer. You shall love Adonai, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall speak of them when you're sitting at home and when you go on a journey, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be jewels between your eyes. You shall inscribe them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. So the people of Israel have this great covenant. And as they're following Moses across the Sinai and they're approaching the kingdom of Moab, the king of Moab enlists the the services of of a pagan prophet named Balaam, who is told to go and pronounce a curse over the, over the people of Israel. The king of Moab is very scared because the, the, the people of Israel are maybe a million in number. They vastly outnumber the people in his kingdom, and he sees them advancing toward his kingdom. He's very afraid. So he sends Balaam out there to curse, put a curse on these people. So Balaam gets out there, and he stands on the mountain. He looks down and sees the people of Israel in the valley, and he pronounces a curse, but the words that come out of his mouth are a blessing. God takes his tongue and uses it for God's purposes. He does this twice. Finally, a third time, uh, the king of Moab enlists him to do it again, and he's riding his donkey, and he's going to where he will encounter the Jewish people, and there's an angel that blocks his path. The donkey sees the angel. Balaam does not. The donkey stops, collapses, finally turns and actually speaks to Balaam and says, you are fighting against the Lord God Almighty. And so his effort is is, uh, thwarted. But unfortunately, the Israelite men are not quite so strong in their faith, or at least some of them are, and they encounter Moabite women, and they're attracted to them. And even though they have a covenant marriage with their wives, they go out and start to fraternize with these women. And here's what it says in the book of Numbers, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. While Israel was living at Shittim, the people profaned themselves by prostituting themselves with the Moabite women. These then invited the people to the sacrifices of their God. And the people ate of the sacrifices and bowed down to their God. Israel thereby attached itself to the Baal of Peor. And the Lord's anger flared up against Israel. The Lord said to Moses, Gather all the leaders of these people and publicly execute them before the Lord, that the blazing wrath of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses told the Israelite judges, each of you kill those of his men who have attached themselves to the Baal of Peor. At this, a certain Israelite came and brought in a Midianite woman to his kindred in the view of Moses and of the whole Israelite community while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the high priest, saw this, he rose up from the assembly and taking a spear in his hand, followed the Israelite into the tent where he pierced the two of them, the Israelite and the woman. Thus the plague upon the Israelites was checked, but the dead from the plague were 24,000. So this was no small thing. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger from the Israelites by his being as jealous among them as I am. That is why I did not put an end to the Israelites in my jealousy. Announce, therefore, that I hereby give him my covenant of peace, which shall be for him and for his descendants after him, the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was jealous on behalf of his God and thus made expiation for the Israelites. So Phinehas was filled with zeal for the Lord, and he dispatched the men who were lying with the Moabite women and worshiping the false god Baal. Now, young Saul was made of the same stuff as Phinehas. He had the fire of zeal in his heart as well. So when he was about 13 or 14 years of age, Saul was sent by his father to Jerusalem to learn from the elders, that is, the priests of the Sanhedrin. And there he was tutored by a priest by the name of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a very wise priest who thought through every event. Now, the temple was usually uh, left on its own at this time under the Romans because they respected the Jewish religion. So whatever was happening in the temple or with the Sanhedrin, they, they stayed out of it. But, and, but at this time, there are many teachers and many opinions on how to best serve God. And Saul is a Pharisee, but there is also Sadducees and Zealots and, and even uh, Essenes. There was one uh, priest that lived about a generation before Gamaliel, and his name was Shammai, and many followed his teachings. And this is what he taught. He said, say your prayers, sharpen your swords, prepare for war, and be zealous for the Jewish faith and the nation. So his living out his faith was a very um, zealous, even a militaristic uh, way of spreading the faith. But the priests of the Sanhedrin at the time that Saul arrived to, to learn from them were very upset, and they were very much debating the events that were happening in Israel and Judea at this time because there was a prophet, someone they did not know who he was or where he came from. His name was Jesus, and he was preaching in the synagogues and on mountaintops. He was healing sick people. He was feeding the masses with, with bread that multiplied. He was attracting the people, and the priests did not know where he came from, and they were becoming very fearsome and very upset about this. Well, Jesus came to Jerusalem. He met with his inner group of 12, and he, and he presented him, himself as the Son of God, and he broke the bread and told them, take and eat, this is my body. So he instituted the Eucharist at the Last Supper. Whether they fully understood that at that time, we can only surmise. But we know that when he was arrested later that night, they all went into hiding. And the, Rome, and the, and the priests of the Sanhedrin had no laws to execute anybody. They could not put somebody to death while the Romans were in charge. So they trumped up a case of what would be called sedition. They said that Jesus claimed he was the king, and so they convinced the Romans that he was dangerous. He was a political uh, threat to Rome, and so he was condemned to, con to be condemned to death by crucifixion, and so the Romans put him to death. But of course, he rose again on the third day, and he appeared to first the women and then to his disciples. 
And so all of what he had preached to them was fulfilled. He was the, truly the son of God. He was the resurrection. And these cowardly followers of him all of a sudden became supermen. They, they were no longer timid. They came out of hiding and they began to preach with great fervor. And on the first Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came to them, they went out into the streets and Peter and John especially preached to all the people of Jerusalem, and they even wound up baptizing 3,000 people on that single day. Well, the Sanhedrin was quite angry with this. They thought they had ended their problems with the death of Jesus, but now they see that his followers are preaching that he's risen, that he's eternal, that he is indeed the, the Son of God, and that they are now emboldened to continue to preach in this way. So they all decide they have to put all these apostles to death. But Gamaliel, who is a, a wiser head, said to them, So now I tell you, have nothing to do with these men and let them go. For this, if this endeavor or this activity is of human origin, it will destroy itself. But if it comes from God, you will not be able to destroy them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. But they did not listen to Gamaliel, and they began to look for Christians wherever they could find them. And there were many who were converted to this new belief, including uh, many who were Hellenistic or Greek origin. And one of those was Stephen. He became a deacon. And as a deacon, his job was to look out for the poor, take care of the poor in the Jerusalem community. And so Stephen spoke eloquently about his faith in the living God, Jesus, to all that he encountered. And this attracted attention, and the priests of the Sanhedrin condemned him. And this time, instead of being afraid to act and going to the Romans, they very boldly decided to have Stephen killed outright. And so he was stoned to death in the Jewish manner. And the man who presided over this stoning and who stood there where they piled up their cloaks was Saul, the subject of our story. And we read about this in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Now Saul, still breathing murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, that if he should find any men or women who belonged to the way, and that's what they called followers of Jesus at that time, the way, he might bring them back to Jerusalem in chains. Well, so here we have Saul. He's given a group of men, armed men, temple guards, who go with him. And they're going to journey from Jerusalem all the way to Damascus. Well, downtown Jerusalem to downtown Damascus is about 187 miles. I checked. So that would mean that it would take them seven to ten days, depending on how hot it was, what time of year it was, to, to walk that distance. And even if some were mounted on horses, the rest would be walking. So it would take them quite some time. So there was a long time to travel from Jerusalem to Damascus. So as they were walking along, what would Saul be thinking about? What would enter his mind? He's zealous for the faith. He thinks the faith is being threatened by these followers of Jesus. So he probably prayed the Shema prayer over and over again in his mind. You shall love Adonai, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, 
And these words which I, which I command you today shall be in your heart. So the zealous Saul was probably praying the Shema prayer when all of a sudden he heard a voice and he saw a vision. Did he see God for a moment when, when the Lord first spoke to him? Did he see what Ezekiel saw when he had been exiled to Babylon? Did he see a great big platform with wheels, wheels and angels at the corners? Did he see a, a throne with the Ancient of Days seated there with hair and beard white as snow? Did he see all of that? Well, here's what, Acts, here's what Luke records in Acts. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, sir? And the reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So Saul would have opened his eyes at that moment and realized that the bright light that he had seen just a moment before, he could no longer see. He was totally blind. He could not see a thing. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, for they heard the voice, but they could see no one. So Saul got up slowly from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was unable to see, and he neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he answered, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and ask at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is there praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, that he may regain his sight. But Ananias replied, Lord, I have heard from many sources about this man, what evil things he has done to your holy ones in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to imprison all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles, kings and Israelites, and I will show him what he will have to suffer for my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. Laying his hands on him, he said, Saul, my brother, the Lord has sent me, Jesus, who appeared to you on the way by which you came, that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Ananias baptizes Saul. He lays on hands, and, and at that moment, something like scales fall from Saul's eyes. Saul was blind, but now he sees, and his mind is reeling from the revelation. So Saul goes into the city with Ananias following him. He meets the followers of Jesus that live in Damascus. He starts to preach what he has heard in this vision that he had of Jesus uh, on the road. And he starts to preach the gospel message to everybody and anybody that he meets. He goes to the synagogues. He goes into the synagogues. And, he, and as a stranger, he's invited to read from the scrolls. And so he takes a reading and he reads it. And when he finishes, he preaches to them that, this, that the passage they've just heard is fulfilled 
in the being of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And they are shocked, but some are, are interested and want to know more. So he's talked to by many, and he starts to make converts. And he continues to do this from day after day. He does it in the synagogues. He does it in the streets. And, and Saul is now on fire for the Lord in a very different way than he was before. But there's danger in this because Saul is attracting attention from the Jews of the synagogue, those who would reject this message and, and see him as a threat. So they're beginning to make ominous threats under their breath. And Ananias is well aware of this, and he suggests that it's not safe for Saul to remain in Damascus. So Saul bids Ananias farewell as he sets out for his new destination. Where is he going? He does not reveal this to Ananias or to anyone in Damascus. And we'll take that subject up in part two of this series. So now let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. Peace be with you.